Hi, this is Filemaker Talk Business Edition. My name is Jonathan Fletcher. I really need to send a special shout-out at this time to two of my favorite Filemaker podcasters, Matt Navarre and Matt Petrowski, for allowing me to hitch a ride on their coattails in this way. They've got a great podcast and just about the best-looking listenership of any podcast anywhere. So it is a great honor to be here. Thanks, Matt and Matt, and thank you. Today we're going to talk about a subject that stymies a lot of people, pricing. How do you price your products and services so that you make the kind of money you want in a sustainable fashion? Kirk Bowman thinks he has a good handle on pricing. Kirk is well known in the filmmaker community as the founder and president of Mighty Data, a Dallas, Texas-based Platinum FBA. DevCon speaker, trainer, winner of three Mad Dog Awards, and a recent recipient of the prestigious FileMaker Excellence Award, Kirk has built Mighty Data into a premier FileMaker consultancy over the past 15 years. I caught up with Kirk recently to ask, how's it going? Hey, Kirk. Hey, how you doing, Jonathan? Thanks for having me on the show. Great. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, in 2009, uh, you were on a panel at DevCon. It was an unconference panel. And there was, uh, I think Matt Navarre was the moderator, and Jonathan Stark, and Molly Connolly, and yourself, and I, do you remember? Jesse Barnum from 360 was there, yes. Okay. And, um, sorry, Jesse. Um, And and this was kind of a a turning point in your business, uh, from what I understand. So, So let's back up a little bit. And... There was a time when you did your business a whole lot different than you do now. So tell me about what you were thinking when you're hearing this stuff about this value thing. What, were you, what was going through your mind uh, on that day? Well, as, as you mentioned, uh, I was on the panel. The other person, the one that kind of rocked my world, was Jonathan Stark. Um, the irony of it is I was the hourly billing advocate on the panel. Jesse and Molly did some hourly, some fixed pricing, but Jonathan was the other extreme. He was value pricing. And so I sat there and said what a lot of other people who do hourly billing say is, hey, I don't know how long it's going to take, so I just got to charge for the hours that it takes me to do it, basically. And that was kind of my line that day. It was every project's new, every product's new. I don't know how long it's going to take, so the fairest thing is just for me to track my hours and charge that to the customer. Jonathan said something that rocked my world. And he basically said, if you bill by the hour, there's an artificial limit on your income. And when he said that, I remember as vividly now as it was then, my internal reaction was hell no. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I I love being in business. And the idea that something I was doing would actually limit the amount of revenue didn't seem right. So that that was, so you were basically like a lot of other FileMaker developers at that time. Like, yeah, I don't know how to price. So the easiest way then is to just, well, I can raise my hourly rate, you know, until they squawk, and then, you know, and and then I know that I'm I'm about the right place. Was that working for you? Well, it's interesting. I would say that I was not pricing. I don't think that by the hour is pricing. So I actually try to be very careful when I choose my words and not call it hourly pricing because in my opinion now it's not pricing. Pricing is a skill that you practice and you exercise. Um, What most people do is hourly billing and here's why I make the distinction. Billing is done after the fact. Okay. Yes, in some cases clients might prepay for hours but there's always some accounting or reckoning of those hours later after the work's done. 
with value pricing, you're actually setting a price before you do the work. And that is the price for that scope of work. And so to me, it, it boils down to the skill of pricing. So, you know, when I was doing it by the hour, I wasn't pricing, I was billing. And I'm not saying you can't make money that way, but I do think it is not the best way to approach business. Okay. Well, would you have said at that point that hourly billing was working for you? I would say define working. Was I making a living? Was I making money? Yes. Was I giving my customers the best experience I could? No. Was I like most people who bill by the hour and I send an invoice after the fact and duck and hope the customer doesn't complain? Yes. So I've never said, I don't even think Jonathan ever said, you can't make money by the hour. We just said, you know what, it's not the best way to do things. So you had you had this turning point there. Uh, so you you th- this was floating around in the back of your mind as as you went away. So so what how, how did that immediately change you? What what were you what was going through your head uh, in the in the following weeks? So when I say that that one phrase, "There's an artificial limit on your income," rocked my world. It did, literally. While I was there and after I left DEF CON, that phrase just continued to kind of haunt me. And I really started thinking about it. And it was to a point where I said, all right, there's some truth in that. I've got to go study it and see if I actually agree with it. So I wound up spending about 90 days studying value pricing. I bought a couple books. I read them. I searched the Internet for websites, um, You know, talked with Jonathan some. I, but I'm seriously, I made a conscious commitment and invested quite a bit of effort to learn about it. And, you know, the end result is after 90 days, I went on the podcast with, uh, you know, on, on this podcast, uh, Matt Navarre was the host at the time with Jonathan and made a public commitment to switch my business within a year. And we did that. So what advice do you have? Now, I, we can get into the details of it, and I have more questions about that. But but just on, on, on a basic level, um, most people think that they are they're billing, they're making money, their clients aren't complaining too much about what they charge. What's wrong with that? Why what would you say to those people who are in that rut, so to speak? Why are they in a rut and they don't even know it? Well, there's probably several things that I could go through that I don't like about hourly billing, but here's probably the biggest one. I feel like it creates a conflict of interest between the professional and the customer. And here's what I mean by that. When you're billing by the hour, it is in the best interest of the customer to take as few hours as possible so that they pay the lowest price. For the professional, it's the opposite. It's in their best interest for it to take as many hours as possible so they have the highest revenue. That's a conflict of interest. And most of the really good consultants I know in the FileMaker space have incredibly high integrity. And they try to do well with that conflict of interest, but yet the conflict of interest still exists. I like value pricing because it actually aligns my interest, meaning the professional, with the interests of the customer. It forces me to have a conversation with them about what's important to them, what is the impact it's going to have on them, and then I get to set a price based on the impact it's going to have. So that conflict of interest is probably the biggest thing. I would probably add number two is nobody ever went to college to learn how to fill out a timesheet. Filling out a timesheet is demeaning. 
We are knowledge professionals. We are using our ability to think, our knowledge, our experience on behalf of our customers, get them from somewhere they're not to somewhere they want to be. And that has nothing to do with how long it takes. And having to fill out a timesheet for that, it to me, it, it's just kind of insulting to what we do. Um, you know, we've released our team from the tyranny of the timesheet. Our, our team doesn't fill out timesheets. And if I asked them to do it now, I'd have a revolt on my hands. Um, and I've never met anybody who fills out a timesheet well either. Everybody's, I mean, I know when I did it, I didn't fill it out daily. I filled it out at the end of the week. And I was going back through emails and other stuff trying to accurately create it. I mean, I know there's probably a few people who are religious about it, but most people I, who, who do it, I know just there's, there's you know, it's, they don't want to do it, but they have to do it. Well, didn't they, didn't, didn't you have in the back of your mind, well, this is kind of how much they're expecting, so I'm, I should probably charge them this much. Did you I mean, ever, when, I, when you're, when you're filling out those timesheets and, and getting ready to do your billing, did you, you were thinking about the customer, you know, and, and maybe what they were expecting, weren't you? Or did you did you just go strictly hour, hourly, or did you adjust that based on who the customer was and and where their where their situation was? Well, I would say, what are you doing? Are you doing fixed price, and you're just kind of getting to the fixed price based on a number of hours, or are you actually billing by the hour? If and, and it comes down to to me an integrity thing. If you tell the customer you're doing it by the hour, then you need to do it by the hour. You need now. I don't think hour. I think hourly billing stinks. But if you're going to do it that way, and that's what you told the customer, then track your time and bill them for what it takes. If you're going to do fixed pricing, you're just going to base it on hours, then just state it's a fixed price and be done with it. By the way, that, that fixed pricing I just described is not the same as value pricing. Okay? Okay. But you know, to me, if you're doing this hybrid thing of you know, you're, you're estimating the number of hours and then, and then you're quoting them, but it could be more than that and it could be less – I think professionals are missing a huge opportunity to serve their customer. I think we can get paid and paid well for bringing certainty and assuming risk. And when you bill by the hour, you don't have the opportunity to to charge for that. And value pricing gives you that opportunity. It's, it sounds to me you, you've, you've, you've used conf, the words like conflict of interest, um, it stinks. Um, so it sounds like you're c- kind of being a little provocative. I mean, there's a lot of people who really swear by hourly billing, uh, formerly known as hourly pricing. And so you, you actually think that every consultancy should work that way. I do. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. You talk about being provocative. Other people have been provocative by saying that hourly billing is unethical. And I've thought about that statement a lot, and here's how I phrase it. Hourly billing is unethical for me. I'm at a point where if I had to go back and operate my business by the hour, I'd close the business. I wouldn't do it. I just I can't, for myself, with my conscience, do hourly billing. I realize other people are not at that point. And so I'm not out here you know, to say that people can't make a living doing it. I know quite a few people who do and do it well. But if you're asking my opinion and what I'm passionate about, yeah, I don't think it's the way to operate a business. I don't. We work with accountants and lawyers who charge that way. Um, there's a there's a whole swaths of of American business that 
works by the hour and that and they live and die by the hour you know they charge you a quarter hour to copy a document you know you get um you get billed for everything and it's all by the hour so when you're listening to these people you lawyers and accountants people who you value as advisors to your business and they say what are you doing that for? I mean, you got to charge by the hour. You're overcharging. You're, you know, that's not right. So what do you do when these professionals who you have to value their opinion tell you that this is not right? Well, the first thing is I don't do business with accountants and lawyers who go by the hour. So my first answer, you know, and I, and I say it jokingly, is I get a new accountant. I get a new lawyer. Okay. Second thing I'd say is actually there's a whole community of accountants and attorneys that are not billing by the hour. Now, they're in the minority now, but there is momentum building and a shift is coming. I have friends and authors and bloggers and speakers within those communities that are out there helping educate people about value pricing, and people are switching. Not everyone will, but some people are, and customers in those industries are beginning to ask for it. Advertising is another big industry. I might have my facts a little off, but I'm pretty certain that Coca-Cola went to their creative agencies and said, no more of this hourly stuff. You start, you start giving us a fixed price. So customers are starting to ask for it, and the, and the momentum is shifting in that regard. So I just I, I think it's, it's inevitable um, that that's where it's going. You know, it, a couple things that you know about hourly billing, just historical-wise – where it came from was kind of the Industrial Revolution. There was an attorney, and I forget the name, the exact date. I can look it up. But back in like, I don't know, 1920-ish, who basically was looking at all kind of the stuff that was happening in factories, the assembly line, Henry Ford, all that kind of stuff. And he thought, hey, we need to apply those concepts to law. And so started building by the hour, and it went from there. And so that's where this history of professional services billing by the hour came from. It came from one attorney during the latter part of the Industrial Revolution trying to apply, you know, kind of that assembly line kind of mentality. Before that, you go back to the 1800s and earlier, you're not going to find anything of billing by the hour. It just doesn't exist. Um, here's the other thing about hourly that, that I don't think anybody, or at least not a lot of people, stop realize. It's a communist idea. Marx is the one that said the value of something is based on the labor and the raw materials that goes into it. There you go, being provocative again. There I go. It, it's the labor theory of value. It's a Marxist idea. Okay, I'm not. I'm not making this up. You can go look it up. Okay, but the contrast to that is the subjective theory of value that says the value of something is based on what the customer says it is. I guess. Yeah, I may have opened a little bit of a can of worms, but. That's I've studied it, and that's how I come to see it. Well, okay. So, say somebody is just starting out. Maybe they were working for somebody else, or maybe they just got out of college and, and whatever. And they start and they open a business, FileMaker or whatever. They're they've got a consultancy, and they and they want to start doing work for people. Doesn't value pricing take a lot of experience and knowledge of of what you're doing before you can even begin to approach? leaving the hourly uh, uh, process behind? I don't, I don't think so. In some ways, you know, I say this about FileMaker. You remember years ago, right? Uh, we went from the FileMaker 6 kind of architecture to the FileMaker 7 architecture. Uh -huh. 
And I remember telling people in training, in FileMaker training, it's actually easier to start new with FileMaker than it is to unlearn what you know from the earlier versions. I think the same thing probably applies to value pricing. When you're hourly billing, you've got to shed that. And it goes to changing beliefs. I mean, value pricing is a belief system, okay? And it affects how you run your business. Um, So I think you still have to study it if you're starting new. But to be honest, I think if you don't have that legacy of trying to shed that, it actually might be easier. Now, I will say this. I don't know that I've run across anybody who started their business doing it who hadn't like I've never met somebody who came fresh out of college and started value pricing in their business. And the reason I think for that is because what they hear in college is hourly. Okay, sure. So they're just doing what they were taught in school. They have to get out and be exposed to it somewhere else um, or encounter somebody like I did. So, But yeah, just theoretically, I think somebody could start it fresh. Well, all the all the books on how to run a freelance business, they all say hourly, you know, take take your time, take your expenses, figure out how much you want to make and and know that you're not going to be able to bill all your hours and then you divide what hours you have left over and that's your hourly rate. You know, they all say that. So, uh anybody starting out, I mean, that's probably the first thing they would hear. Yeah. And and I think it takes a little bit of you have to be willing to try a different point of view. Let me put it that way. Um, I think looking at your costs first when you're pricing something is bass backwards. Okay, um, and that's what hourly billing is. It is it's a cost led pricing structure or pricing method. Value pricing says, you know what? We're first going to start with a conversation with the customer, figure out what's important to them, figure out the value, and then we're going to set a price, and then we'll look at can I deliver what they want at that price and make a profit? I don't cons- I'm not saying you don't consider costs, but you don't consider it first. You get a price, and then you go, can I deliver? You don't do the reverse. Oh, uh, yeah, but, but you know, you got to cover your costs. You know, so you gotta, you got to think about your costs going in, don't you? No. Your customer could care less about your costs. Your customer also could care less how long it takes you. By the way, who, whoever said that 60 minutes is worth $150 an hour or $200 an hour or whatever? We've all heard the story of the attorneys who have been in the shower and thought of the idea that saves their client millions of dollars in product liability or whatever it is. What's that 15 minutes worth? The client really doesn't care how long it took. They care about the result. So are your costs important from a making a living? Sure it is. Okay? Simple accounting. In, income's got to be greater than outgo, right, to build wealth. I'm not so so that. I hear. I'm not saying that, but I am saying if you go with this cost-led pricing method of hourly billing, um, you're limiting your ability to build wealth because you're doing it as a markup, and you're ignoring – what's really important, which is the customer, which is what they want. Well, okay. You keep saying what the customer wants and what they perceive as value. What if the customer doesn't have a clue what they want? Then your service is to help them figure that out. And it, and I know some consultants, including us, who will actually charge the customer to help them answer that question because that has value. One thing I tell my customers is, if you're coming to me looking for great answers, you're looking for the wrong thing. But if you're looking for great questions, I got them. And my great questions will help you 
get to the answers you want. Nine times out of ten, my customers have the answers. They just need me to help facilitate it. And great questions are the way that gets them there. Okay, so they have the answers. They just haven't known how to articulate it yet. Well, they're limited by their experience or by um, other other factors, you know. I mean, that's what that's part of what we bring to the table is a fresh perspective, fresh knowledge, fresh experience. And it's kind of hard to price that by the hour to me. Well, sure. Well, so so what would you say to somebody who's been doing it the that other way? And and they say, okay, well, what about this job? You know, it, 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 there's just some jobs that you can't price. Um, uh, that you you don't know what it's going to cost. So I got I've got to charge like like what you used to say. You know I've got to charge by the hour because there just isn't any way to predict where this is going to go. The customer knows what they want. I know what we're going to do, but there's just so many potholes that we just can't really predict that. So so what do you do then? I, I think there's two possible solutions. First of all, break the project up. Okay, if you can't price it, it's probably too big. And if it's too big, the, the likelihood of failure increases. I mean, we work in an industry where, unfortunately, the, the statistics are not great. You know, if you go out there and do a, a, a you know, a, do Google search, you know, on you know, software on time on budget, you'll find a lot of statistics that say, you know, fifty percent failure rate, those kind of things. Um, so oh, but that's just IBM. That's not FileMaker developers, right? I don't know about you, but I talk to a lot of second chance. Clients, people who started elsewhere and are and it didn't go well, and so now they're coming to us. That we get a lot of those. So uh, no, I, I think those I think those statistics apply to the FileMaker community just like they do everywhere else. I don't think there's something magical about FileMaker that those statistics don't apply to us. Well, I think well, they do. Well, let me ask you this: if if they had gone to you first, would they have hired you? Would, it depends. Were, were they looking for? Were they looking to cheap out? And that's what caused the caused the in project some, to fail. In some cases, yes. In other cases, you know, there, obviously, when you're in a, when you're in a customer relationship, there's there's two parties that can fail, right? The customer can fail, or the consultant can fail. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other, sometimes it's both. So, it, had they come to us, do I think they would have had a better six chance of success? Yes. There's also a possibility we wouldn't have taken them on as a customer. Um, that's the other thing that value pricing does is it forces you, you have to, to make a living, you have to get really good at customer selection. Your qualification process, um, even if it's strong, it gets stronger because you're, putting, you're taking on more risk with value pricing. So you have to be more selective in who you bring on as a customer. And you learn to kind of vet, you know, is this person really prepared to make the tough call? Um, is the person I'm talking to have the authority they need to, they need, you know, are they committed to the, to the project? Are they coming at this from the standpoint of do this for me? Are they coming at the standpoint of do this together? Are they, you know, are they just trying to get this as cheap as they can? Are they willing to invest in order to make sure there's a successful outcome? Do they want a process? Have they even thought about whether a process is necessary? I mean, I could keep going. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of those kind of things contribute. Well, my my uh, other two favorite podcasters, uh, uh, Andy Cohen and Lee Strong, they say the customer has to look like they're going to be fun to work with, or they won't go, they won't take them on if they can't see the, having fun with that customer. Yep. So, 
what are some of the other reasons why you would say, well, maybe we're not the right person for you. We're not the right company to, to do this. Sometimes I actually think what the customer wants is not what they need. And if they're not open to that, um, it's probably not a good fit. Um, if the customer is not willing to consider, strongly consider my advice, they're probably not a good fit. Oh, but they know you, their business way, way better than you know their business, right? If they could solve the problem themselves, they wouldn't be calling me. Is there a particular kind of project that, that applies itself really well? to the, the, the value pricing approach, or is it just you do that with everything? I think I haven't encountered anything that I can't tackle with value pricing. I haven't encountered anything. Now, if I had to get creative at times, sure, but that's part of the fun of value pricing um, is you get to be creative. Pricing is a skill that can be learned, and so many of us put so much effort into learning our craft. I mean, the FileMaker community has some of the best developers and the people who love their craft, and they, they love just pouring time and energy into getting better at it. We need to treat pricing the same way. It's a skill that can be learned and practiced, and you can get creative with it, and the creativity you can have with pricing is just as much fun as the creativity you can have on the technical side. In some ways, more so, um, at least from my perspective. I mean, I've gotten to the part where I still enjoy the technical side of what I do, but the business side of it is what excites me. Well, and value pricing gives me a, gives me a, a, a way of thinking that encourages that and facilitates that. You've spent four years getting to this point where you're just, you're just a you're really sure about value pricing. So you've seen value pricing grow in the FileMaker community in, in, in your work, but also you've seen other people do it. Uh, where do you think it's going in the next four years? I, could, I can speak more to where I think it's going in professional services at large. The FileMaker community is, is it's a very small, very focused, very tight community. So I, I think there, there are people who, more people who are adopting value pricing within our community. Um, occasionally, I run into them. You know, I know a few people who have, you know, through conversations or presentations that we've had, have, have made the switch and done it successfully. Um, I know it's still a, a minority in our community, um, and and probably it's going to stay that way. To be honest, I think that's just kind of you know the farming community is kind of a mature community on several levels. Um, whether it's you know kind of the average age or kind of where the product's at in a product life cycle or you know there's several things there. Did you just call us old? No, you did. <laughs> but but in a broader spectrum with professional services, um, there is a change of coming, and it's being led by people who are writing books on this. And I mean, these are people who've been writing books on this for 20 years. So, you know, but in, in the, you know, considering hourly billing's been around for a century, you know, it's still fairly young. But I think it's coming. And I think it's coming in a couple ways. As I mentioned earlier, customers are asking for it, uh, particularly in legal and advertising. And then second, there's a younger generation of professionals that basically are just rejecting the timesheet. I mean, just the idea that, that that's the way that I'm important is how many hours a bill that that they're just rejecting that, and so, like for example, in the accounting community, there is a uh, there's a group of about seventy eighty accountants, uh, and they have a network, 
and uh, the guy who created the network actually charges a fee for membership in the network. And what they do is they, they encourage each other. And most of these are accountants who are 40 or under. Most of them are, are people who started out working for one of the big accounting firms or maybe a medium size. And eventually they said, you know what, the way they're doing business doesn't work for me. I'm going to go out and start my own thing. So there is a movement both from the top down from the customer asking for it. And there is another one from the bottom up from, from younger professionals. Um, that'll probably affect the FileMaker community some, but the FileMaker community is you know, a little more isolated. So how do you do value pricing then? In 24 you, words or less. Well, to me, value pricing <laughs> can be summed up like this. It's two skills. It's the ability to identify value and the ability to set a price. How do you identify value? You learn to have a value conversation with the customer. You learn to ask great questions to help lead the customer to tell you what's important to them, and then you go further to figure out what the impact that is going to have on their business. And that's done with the customer. Then on the pricing side, you basically, okay, for that value, what's a fair price that's going to create a fair um, return on investment or ROI? Some professionals even go as far as to actually involve the customer in the conversation of setting the price. They'll go as far as to say, hey, this is going to you know, create $100,000 of value for you. What do you think is a fair price for that return? That's, that's kind of like the highest level of practicing it, but some people go that far. Um, but I really think it's those two skills, learning to identify value and then learning to set a price. And part of setting a price is not just offering one price. You have to learn to offer options. The statement I made earlier, and I was actually quoting somebody else about you know hourly billing being unethical for me, where I really think that we're doing a disservice to our customer is we don't offer them options. If all you're giving a customer is one price, we can do better. You're giving them three prices. Number one, it gives them choices. okay, And it helps the customer make a decision about what is really important and how should I tackle this? If they're evaluating one price that is kind of what they were thinking and then two more that are either above or below what they were thinking, it creates a different context. Offering options also has a sales benefit because it shifts the question in the customer's mind from will I do business with them to how will I do business with them? And it's a subtle shift. You know, there's this great video out there, I think it's of Dan Ariely, he did a study of The Economist magazine. Uh, they offered a subscription two ways. They offered one with two choices and one with three choices. And you would assume that probably the, the, that in both those situations, the same option was picked, but it wasn't. With the two options, um, and he did this with a classroom at a college, but when he only offered two options, everybody picked one thing. When he offered three, they picked another. The options hadn't changed, but the perception of the options had changed. And so I think options is a really great benefit for the customer, and I think it's also a great benefit for the professional. And that's where the creativity comes in. Well, so what what kinds of things do you do uh, to be creative? Sure. Um, I think one of the best things you can do is offer the customer something they didn't ask for. And not just something they don't need, right? But... I think we're, we've got enough knowledge and experience that we can look into the situation and go, okay, you were asking, and I'm going to use really vanilla you know, examples, but you, know, you were asking for CRM, but wouldn't it be cool if when somebody came to your website and they filled out a form, it just went straight into your CRM? 
And I know that's kind of a simple example, but you know, it could be something as simple as that. Offer them something that will benefit them that they didn't ask for. Um, that's one way. When when we when we talk about options, uh, a colleague of mine, Ed Kless, kind of came up with this idea of I think I think it's, when I first heard it, it was the five T's, and now I think it's up to the seven T's. But the idea with options is there's several things that all begin with the letter T that you can use to kind of differentiate your options. Um, so let's see if I can remember them off the top of my head. Um, technology, okay. So for example, you could offer doing the project in FileMaker. Um, 12 or FileMaker 11, or you could offer to do it in FileMaker or on the web or whatever. You could, you know, different technology, different talent. Okay. Sometimes customers don't just want to work with a developer. They want to work with that developer. If they want to work with that specific individual, there ought to be a premium on that. Time frame. Okay. Are you going to deliver it faster or longer? And I have in cases um, offered a customer a lower price if they'll give us longer to complete the project. Terms, payment terms, lots of lots of ability to be creative there. Anywhere from 100% up front to 50-50 to monthly installments to, you know, whatever. You, you've got all kinds of leeway there. Um, what are some of the others? Training, okay, do you include training? Do you offer training? What level of training? I think that's five, and I don't think I can remember the other two. But my point is there's a lot you can do, a lot you can do. Yeah, something I find myself doing a lot is saying, oh, hey, you know, we can also put this on the iPad. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. I can't even believe I didn't even think to use that as my example. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of like the, the, the elephant in the room. It is, particularly in the FileMaker space, right? Um, We're the only ones that can do it. We're the only ones that can take a file. Well, I'm, this is not news to anybody, but if, if if you hadn't thought of this, there's no Flash, there's no Java. You know, FileMaker is the only interpreted environment that you can run on an iOS device. So if you want to create an app and not have to go through the App Store, and oh, by the way, also have that on your desktop and also have that on the web, FileMaker is the only game in town. FileMaker is the only game for miles around. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. And so, you know, that's that's a great way. And, and we actually do that on a lot of proposals. One option includes a mobile, one doesn't. Good. Okay, so um, creativity. Um, you're creative. You've been in business for a long time. You've worked with customers for a long time. Um, I, I know FileMaker developers who would rather just sit and code. You know, how does this apply to them? You know, do, do, say they just like subbing you know how does that how how can they take advantage of this well when we made the transition to value pricing um we first made it with customers and then we made it with our subcontractors and in 95 percent of the cases our subs are giving us a, a fixed price for the scope of work um so I think your question was more along the lines of, okay, what if somebody just says, all I want to do is code. I, the business part of it is just not exciting for me. Well, my, I think my comment would be then you probably shouldn't be in business for yourself. You want to, you know, and, and one way to get a job or – and, and I kind of view subcontracting as – I think it, if, if somebody needs a happy medium where, you know, they really don't want to interact with, with the end customer – 
you know, because they don't like the business side of it, but yet they don't want to be an employee, then maybe a subcontractor is a good medium. They enjoy right? working in their pajamas. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I would not try to, uh, if I, and I don't think this happens much. I don't, you know, I don't see many people that are trying to build a business who don't enjoy business. Um, usually they're, they are kind of like in a freelance or a subcontracting mode. Okay. So you, you said that you, you work with your people, uh, uh, that they don't do timesheets. So do you negotiate with, with your subs or w- with your employees? You know, how, how do you set parameters? Uh, uh, you know, you come back, you know, okay, we got 20, 20 grand to do this job. Uh, your part of it is this here. Uh, I need you to get it done by this amount of time. And, and, you know, do you have employees or do they just work on chunks or, or how does that work for you? Well, first of all, the majority of our developers are, are full-time employees. Okay. But we do use subs in some cases. We used to use them a lot more than we do now. Um, I think using subs is a great way to help grow a business because it's easy to ramp up and ramp down. Now, finding good subs and getting access to them, uh, that's another story. But subs in and of itself, it can be a, a great way to, to work um, with, when we do work with subs, most of the time the subs we're working with are people we've been working with for a long time. They understand where I'm coming from on this, um, even if they don't. And we've got some subs who they work with me this way, but they don't work with their other customers this way. And then when I've got some who have actually started applying this, it's like because of their experience with us, they start doing it with their own customers. Um, so we've had it go both ways. But basically they, they give me a fixed price. So you, now, you outline it really clearly for them, and then and then they say, okay, well, then here here's your price. Yep. Do, do you do that before you go back to the customer, or do do you just go ahead and pre preload that cost, knowing approximately how much they're gonna they're gonna require? I'd say it depends. Um, if if the price is is has got a lot of margin in it, I probably won't do that. If it, if the price doesn't have as much margin in it, I probably will go to them and ask. Um, okay. And I'll say this: There's even been an occasion where I've actually said to our subcontractor that price is too low. There's sometimes where I can just because I, I, I've talked to the customer and I can see what they're thinking, and I go, "Look, you're you're you know you're either undervaluing this or you're missing this piece. That price has got to go up." <laughs> you know, so that doesn't happen very often, but it has happened on occasion. Yeah. Um, well, what if, what, if, what if they come back and they say, "Well, you know, I think this is going to take 50 hours," and you and you were thinking 20. I don't think in hours. Okay. I mean, I mean, okay. my team. My, I, my, my, I thought that, that your part of this would be five thousand dollars, and they come back and they say, "Well, you know, I was actually, I actually think I need ten thousand to do this." So, you know, what do you do? Um, that that has rarely happened to me, and okay. I think that's because I'm setting really good prices up front with my customer. Okay. I'm not saying it can't happen. Uh, and probably if I scratch my head long enough, I might think of the one instance where it has, but it's, it's, it's rare. So, so a lot of the things you've talked about require a lot of experience, require a lot of judgment, require a lot of seat of the pants, and as you said, creativity. How, how, do, how do people learn to do this? Uh, I, I know of a few books, but is there some place where you can go and just get you know, a, like a list of resources or training events or anything like that? So um, if I could paraphrase the question, what's the web address of the Value Pricing Society of America? 
Is that kind of what we're looking for? And uh, and, I, and I say that tongue in cheek. I'm making a joke. Oh, well, know. see, I asked that question. I, I, I asked that question of of people I know a lot. Um, okay, there's this technique I want to do. Does anybody have a link? Is there some place that you know of that's a that's a good repository or a good a good source of this kind of stuff? Value pricing is kind of a grassroots kind of thing. Okay, it's 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 definitely done in the minority across most of the professions, but it is gaining momentum. It is gaining momentum in other professions outside the filemaker community faster than it is within ours. So I think if you're going to be looking, you're going to be looking outside for the most part. Um, you mentioned some books, so I'll just list probably you know the first two books. Um, the first one I ever read was by Alan Weiss. Um, he's a prolific author. He's written I don't know forty something books. Uh, he's got two books. Um, the, the first one I'm thinking of is value-based fees, and then he's got another one, um, getting started in consulting. Getting started in consulting is just kind of an introduction to Alan and his views on many things, and value-based fees is kind of his take on doing value pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's who I started with. Later, I discovered Ron Baker. Um, Ron has probably, you know, probably the Bible in value pricing. It's called implementing value pricing. Um, Ron is 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 a good friend. Um, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to have several connections with him, and um, you know, we're actually mentioned. Mighty Data is mentioned in one of the appendices of his book. Um, I've I've had the pleasure of sitting through a two day seminar that was taught by uh, Ron and his colleague Ed Kless on value pricing. So um, I definitely probably favor Ron's writings. Um, and but his writing is like you know trying to read, uh, you know, uh, there's a book out called Thou Shalt Prosper by uh, Daniel uh, Lappin. He's a he's a Jewish rabbi. If you've read that book, it's it's real deep thinking. That's the way Ron is. It's real deep thinking. You ha- you have to commit to get through that book. But those are two that I really enjoy. Ron is just you know Ron's done other things. So kind of continuing to answer your question about you know what are resources. Ron founded the think tank. Called Verisage, V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E dot com, Verisage dot com, and if you go to that website, um, there's a lot of blog articles, um, other resources, things of that nature about value pricing. Now, Ron is an intellectual, and he comes out of the accounting space. So when you when you go to Verisage, you're going to find most of it's written by accountants for accountants, and Ron has that that real deep knowledge of economics and things of that nature. Um, and so you will get that perspective on it. Um, but Verisage is a great resource. Verisage, you know, I did a, an unconference at Pause on Error back in 2010. And a lot of the content I used in that session came from Verisage. Um, one of the things I'm actually proud of is uh, back in 2011, I actually became a practicing fellow at Verisage. So I'm like, you know, one of the insiders now, which is kind of cool. Uh, I'm in the club. I've got my secret decoder ring. Yeah. So anyway, those are some resources, those books, the Verisage website. Um, and, and then from there, I think if, if, you, you know, if, you, if you search around, you'll find some additional things. Uh, what I see a lot of is like an article here, an article there about it on a lot of freelance websites. There is information out there. The, the, the recording of my pause on error session is still up on the web. Um, so, yeah, there are some things out there. This podcast, you do, you do, have, to, you do have to invest um, some effort to find it and to apply it. Um, what I did, you know, probably the, the one thing I did that I think helped me the most is I actually hired Jonathan as a consultant to help me 
my first six months I was doing this, he was, you know, he was on speed dial. And that, that probably is one of the reasons I was able to make the switch so much easier. Speaking of having a mentor on speed dial, you've got something new going on too, don't you? Yeah. Um, so this week, um, we launched artofvalue.com. And it's a, a new business I'm launching, which is to help professionals, whether they're you know, by themselves or in a company, make the switch from hourly billing to value pricing. Um, kind of what I say on the side is that my goal is to help them make their customers happier and make them more money. Because I believe that's the end result of value pricing. It's a belief system. And so part of what I'm trying to do is, is offer some services that will help um, consultants figure out what their belief system is, figure out where it needs to change, figure out ways to start to approach that change. And then once we have the belief, belief system in place, then we want to go further and start, you know, kind of go from the strategy down to the more tactical. How do you offer options? How do you set a price? Um, how do you handle customer objections? How do you do customer selection better? Um, all those kind of things. So yeah, artofvalue.com is something I'm really excited about. Um, in fact, actually going to pick up the business cards um, tomorrow. So did, did Jonathan do anything like that other than you know, just making himself available to people? Did, 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 did he have any kind of a, a formalized approach to helping people with that? Jonathan Stark I'm referring to. Right. Yeah, Jonathan didn't do it that formally. Jonathan at the time was in a transition kind of – he was already a web expert in the FileMaker community, but he was actually really going for mobile. And that's where Jonathan has kind of made his name nowadays as, as an expert um, doing not only mobile development but consulting on mobile strategy you know, with C-level executives. Um, it just so happened I caught him at the right moment when he was kind of willing to do that. Um, I can't say whether he would do it now or not, um, but I know that I think probably – and this is the irony of that uncomfort, you know, not the, yeah, I guess it was an uncomfortation at DEF CON. I think of all the people who were most interested in what he was talking about, it was me. <laughs> and I was one of the guys on the panel. So um, I think because of my level of interest, he was willing to work with me. Um, but he never set out to formally offer something. And to my knowledge, I'm not aware of anybody else right now, and they're probably out there, so ping me and let me know who they are. But I'm not aware of anybody else out there that's kind of held out their shingle and said, my sole purpose is to help people switch. Okay. Well, do you, do you know of other developers? You know, maybe maybe you be hesitant to drop names, but do you know of other developers that are that are moving in this direction? Other filemaker people. I would say I know of other people who have moved in this direction. To be honest, I'm not aware of somebody who has who is trying to do it right at this moment. Um, and this, you know, this art of value thing, I'm really shooting for a broader audience than just the filemaker community. Okay. Well, I, I really appreciate your time, Kirk. I, I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a long time, and this is a tremendous venue for that. We'll uh, get back with you um, to see how your site's going and uh, uh, what other services you have uh, sometime in the future. But uh, thank you so much for, for your time today. I know you got to go. Well, uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's an honor. Um, it's fun to get to talk about something that I'm so passionate about. And if I can, I'll make, make one minor suggestion. Okay. At least to me, next time, thank me for my knowledge, not for my time. <laughs> Touche. Thank you, Kirk. Very welcome. Take care, Jonathan. Bye-bye.